Welcome to Mountain Bike Radio. This episode is made possible by mountainbikingparkcity.com. Head over to mountainbikingparkcity.com for more information. But just so you know, Park City, Utah has great riding in the fall, all fall, sometimes well into November. In fact, it's a favorite time of year to ride. The fall foliage is outstanding and the cool mountain air pairs perfectly with Hero Dirt. In addition to the near-perfect riding conditions, you can find good deals on lodging and dining options all around town. The Wasatch Mountain Range provides riders with 450 miles of single track to explore and a landscape for rock climbing, golf, hot air ballooning, trail running, hiking, and basically anything you want to do. So discover more about the spectacular fall riding that Park City has to offer by heading over to mountainbikingparkcity.com. Or if you're listening to this, just click on the show links. It takes you right there. Thanks for them for making this possible. And uh, that's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to Episode 7 of She Shreds Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I need to send a huge thanks and shout-out to listener Bill Munden, who sent me a safari-themed animal shirt the other day to the Path Bike Shop. He told me in a note that while he was packing his house to move, he came across the shirt and thought I would appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bill. We'll post an Animal Shirt of the Week photo soon, and we'll make sure it's included in the show notes. Our guest today is an avid mountain biker, skier, outdoors woman, and entrepreneur who has spent the last several years crafting her career so that she can continue living in her beloved community of Sun Valley, Idaho. When Smith Optics, the company Cassie Abel worked for at the time, announced it would relocate its headquarters to Portland, Oregon in 2014, she decided down to the wire that she would leave what was at the time her dream job and give entrepreneurship a go so she could stay in Sun Valley. Cassie went on to start White Cloud Communication the following summer, and in 2016, she co-founded the women's outdoor apparel brand Wild Rye with her friend Katie. At the end of last year, Cassie became the sole owner of the business and moved all operations from Lake Tahoe to Sun Valley, where she runs both businesses and continues to pursue outdoor adventures of all kinds. Cassie, it's a true pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yes, I remember meeting you in, gosh, it must have been 2014. It was at press camp, wasn't it? What, it was at press camp, yeah, in uh, Deer Valley, Utah. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it was either 2013 or 14. Anyways, long time ago. <laughs> a long time ago, yeah. So before Smith uh, relocated and you left the company. Um, so... Speaking of that, this is kind of timely because um, REI just posted a story featuring um, entrepreneurs who have just made their lives work around their passions and letting them stay where they want to be. And in your case, it's Sun Valley, which who can blame you because that place is so amazing. I can see why you didn't want to relocate. Even though Portland's great, Sun Valley is, I'd say, magical. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and how that decision, how, how hard that decision was for you and, and then sort of how you navigated it after you left Smith? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I had spent 
you know, my childhood in and of Sun Valley and always dreamed of ended up ending up back here. Um, Smith was frankly my dream job. I in part wrote my senior thesis in college on Smith and um, frankly never thought it would become a reality. And so when it did become a reality in about, I want to say it was 2011, um, I was convinced that my life was made. I was in Sun Valley. I was working at Smith. Like life couldn't get any better than that. Um, fast forward a couple of years and there were rumblings about, you know, exploring new locations for this brand that had been he- headquartered here in Sun Valley for the last 50 years. Um, and <laughs> I definitely went into full panic mode because Sun Valley is not an easy place to have a career. Um, and up until that point, every decision I'd made in my life had had to do with career. Every move, um, every new city was for a new job. So... Um, so yeah, I mean, we were given, um, I can't remember like four months to decide once they officially announced that we were moving or the brand was moving to Portland. Um, we flew out to Portland to give it a visit, check it out, see if it was a place we could live. And, you know, I'm from Seattle area. I've lived in that climate. (laughs) I've done the city thing, having lived in San Francisco and, um, Denver and Seattle area and, I just knew that with the amount of travel involved in a job at Smith, I wouldn't be getting outside. I wouldn't, it would take a lot to get to the mountains and I just feel so healthy when I'm in the mountains, um, and happy. So, um, yet at the same time, it was my dream job. I love the brand. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, the decision came down to the the day our decision was due. I left for work. My now husband, um, boyfriend at the time, thought I was going into work to tell them that, yes, I would move to Portland. And there was just a piece of me that couldn't do it. So um, I came home from work, told Mike, (laughs) just kidding, I'm staying. (laughs) I can't do it. I can't move to Portland. So, um, yeah. Um, So anyways, that fast forward, I, you know, had to figure out what would afford me to stay in Sun Valley. And at Smith, I was the global communications manager. So... Um, it felt natural to start doing PR on a freelance basis, and um, a few really rad brands took a chance on me right from the get-go, and it led to building White Cloud Communication, which is, I don't know, four or five years in the five years running now, and we've worked with some really amazing outdoor, active lifestyle, action sports brands over the years, so... Yeah, that is so awesome. And like you said, a lot of times those really rad mountain towns or, you know, anywhere that's a destination people want to spend their free time, those places can be very hard to make a living. Yeah. So, I mean, White Cloud is honestly still how I pay my bills. And then, um, as you mentioned in the intro, um, that led me to reconnecting with my um, co-founder of Wild Rye, Katie, at uh, we actually connected in 2015 and spent about a year getting ready for launch um, and then launched Wild Rye in 2016, August 2016, about four months later than we had planned. <laughs> so you effectively launched two businesses within about a year of each other? Two uh-huh. years of each other. No, a year. Definitely a year. A year. <laughs> That's awesome. How was that? I mean, was that just crazy or did it all sort of just evolve um in a kind of natural way that made it manageable yeah I mean 
I have to say, um, Katie did a lot of the legwork in the early days of Wild Rye. Um, hats off to her for really <laughs> toughing it out in those early days and scrambling to get all the business pieces in place and um, working with factories and designers. And um, she did more of the back end of the business. And I really, you know, started working hard on Wild Rye once getting closer to launch from the marketing angle. So. Um, yeah, but it was overwhelming. And frankly, I was so nervous for the longest time about whether my white cloud clients would abandon me when they heard that this other thing was going on. So I kept it pretty quiet for a long time. Um, my involvement with wild rye so that, um, because paying my bills, <laughs> paying my mortgage was a real concern for me. Sure. And I remember, didn't you launch the company, the two of you under a different name in the beginning? Yes. So Katie is a Tahoe native or Tahoe Bay Area native. Um, the Sierras are her home mountain range. Um, and part of the Eastern Sierra is the Buttermilk Range. And so we launched under the name Buttermilk Mountain Apparel. And pretty quickly, luckily, it was quick, <laughs> um, Aspen Ski Company came to us and said, hey, <laughs> we own this. We'll work with you. And they were so wonderful and accommodating, but, you know, we had to change our name. Um, and so, yeah, we spent about a week in, I want to say it was like three weeks after launch, digging, digging into potential new names for the brand. And frankly, I think we're both, we're really happy with where we landed and it feels like a much more um, fitting name for our brand, Wild Rye. And how did that name come about? Um, so we wanted to, I mean, we wanted to emit like a sense of freedom and spontaneity and fun and, and then, but also have, you know, this name sort of rooted in the mountains and at elevation, um, in the high Alpine. So, because we love to play in the Alpine. So, um, wild ride just felt really fitting. Um, the wild aspect to it had some great ways to play with the name and then just wild rye as a whole is a grass that grows above 6,000 feet so it's native to um alpine regions that's beautiful um and can you tell us a little bit about uh the brand and the products you make and sort of your your market how that how maybe it's evolved as well over the years absolutely so um, Katie and I had both come from the outdoor industry. I was at Smith. She was at Specialized Bicycle Components. And frankly, we'd been to just about every possible trade show in those industries um, that existed. And we were still struggling to find outdoor apparel that fit, performed, and matched our sense of style. Um, and there, I mean, frankly, we were having trouble meeting one of those categories, let alone all three. And so we figured that if we, two women who were, quote unquote, on the inside of the industry, were feeling SOL in our outdoor apparel <laughs> options, um, surely we weren't alone. So um, we launched Wild Rye to change that, to bring women beautiful and technical mountain apparel. Um, and really, our goal is to inspire confidence and welcome more women into the outdoors. And so you... You make, I know you make mountain biking stuff. Yeah. 
Um, what else, uh, what are some of the products besides mountain or in addition to mountain biking? Yeah. So to date we're predominantly focused in versatile mountain bike apparel and, um, cozy Merino winter base layers and mid layers. Um, you know, Katie and my two sports are, you know, most beloved sports are mountain biking and skiing. And, um, so we've sort of modeled the wild wipe brand after a lot of European brands that, um, you know, focus on bike in the summer and snow sports in the winter. So, um, yeah. And we, um, in terms of the specific products, we feel that we have really mastered the baggy, if you will, um, with a really beautiful cut, beautiful fit, super high quality that should last a lifetime. Um, so we have two shorts in that category now, the Freel short, which is a four-way stretch nylon, and I mean, just a really beautiful, lightweight hand feel. And then we just introduced the Kawea short this summer uh, to bring a more wallet-friendly version of the Freel. So that's a poly-based short um, that has a little bit more simplified detailing, but it comes in at a lower price point for those who are, you know, not interested in paying the price of the Freel. Um, and then we've expanded into some, um, very versatile jerseys. Um, they don't look so bike, if you will. Um, I wear my Sandia shirt for hiking and trail running just as much as I do for mountain biking, um, which I think is really great because rather than having very, you know, sport specific items that can be versatile, I'd prefer to have a versatile shirt for my multi-sport activities and weekends. Totally. Yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> I like being able to use one thing for pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, how, how was it for you learning, sort of learning the apparel market after not really maybe coming from that background? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been a challenge. No question. Um, it, Let's see. Um, it's come with a lot of challenges. Um, we set off when we launched the brand, we set off to do 100% USA manufacturing and pretty quickly learned that the quality just wasn't up to our standards. And frankly, it's, you know, it's a really technical product and there are very few factories in the U.S. that could meet our quality standards. So um, after year one, we had to shift our manufacturing overseas That and that obviously led to a whole new set of challenges, um, you know, language barriers and customs and all sorts of other things. But, um, yeah, it's been a really steep learning curve. And frankly, I have, um, you know, it's been especially steep for me since taking over the whole business um, from Katie because Katie had been very integral in, in that liaising up until the end of 2018. So, I've yeah, had a crash course the last six months. <laughs> it sounds like it. And Katie, Katie left the business uh, at the end of the year, like you just mentioned. Um, how was that decision for you um, to take it over and run it by yourself and follow up to that? Um, do you have other employees at this point? You know, Katie had been in the thick of things for the previous, what, two and a half years years or so, um, she, because we lived in different places, we had our inventory in one location. So she was doing all the packing and shipping and the operations of the business. So she just 
honestly was really burnt out. And, um, you know, we both worked full-time jobs outside of Wild Rye, and she realized that she loved teaching art history, um, which she wasn't anticipating. And so um, she came to me, I think it was right after Thanksgiving, and was like, hey, I'm burnt out. I'm over it. I see two options. One, we, you know, let the brand fizzle out and sell off our remaining inventory or you buy me out. And um, honestly, we get asked pretty regularly, like, if there's animosity, but it was the smoothest, cleanest, most friendly buyout process ever. Um, And we still talk all the time, and she still gives us some business advice and sort of background on things that were stumped on. Um, And so, yeah, it was a tough decision because it was, you know, it was a – It was a lot of my savings, Um, and the commitment to be in the apparel world is scary. It's not the easiest industry to be in. Um, I can't even begin to list all of the challenges that come with this type of business. Um, It's an inventory business. It takes really considered cash flow. Um, But, yeah, so I took that over, and – Honestly, one of my first calls when I was considering this was to um, my now partner, Krista, who had worked with me during her summer in business school last summer. And I was like, hey, I have this <laughs> I have this opportunity. Do you want to go in on it with me? And she was, keep in mind, still finishing her second year of business school, but she was keen to join forces and thank goodness because running a business alone is really scary and having a a buddy and someone to bounce ideas off of, off of and commiserate with is just makes it so much better. So, um, to answer your question on employees, I have a a partner, Krista, and then, um, we have a few contract freelancers that we work with. Um, our most like long-term and consistent freelance partner is Kelsey Van Patten, who's our technical apparel designer and um she's been with the brand since the beginning and i recently learned that we were her first freelance client so um oh that's cool yeah so oh fun and you just moved into an office it sounds like yeah we've been joking we're dressing for the job that we want not the job we have so it's a space that will allow us to grow and hopefully add team members and grow our inventory and more efficiently and effectively service our customers and our wholesale partners. And yeah, just a little more breathing room for, for us and, and our dogs love it. So. Oh, that's fantastic. There's a quick interruption to remind you that Park City, Utah has great riding in the fall and sometimes well into November. In fact, it's a favorite time of year to ride. The fall foliage is outstanding and the cool mountain air pairs perfectly with hero dirt. In addition to these near-perfect riding conditions, you could find good deals on lodging and dining options all around town. The Wasatch Mountain Range provides riders with 450 miles of single track to explore and a landscape for rock climbing, trail running, hiking, hot air ballooning, golf, pretty much anything you'd want to do. So it's worth checking out. You can discover more about the entire fall riding and make note for next year, the spring, summer, next fall, Check it out. Everything that Park City has to offer by going to mountainbikingparkcity.com. Click on the show link. Do whatever you have to do. Check them out on Facebook as well. And uh, that's it. So back to the show. 
Thanks for listening, and thanks to Mountain Biking Park City for making this possible. See ya. Did you um, run it out of your house before that, or did you have another space somewhere? No, we had another space and um, rented a space that we <laughs> continued to ask for more space from. So we had a small office that was where we ran the PR business out of. And then at the start of the year, when we had to move all the inventory, we asked if we could take over the common space. So we were taking over the common space of this mezzanine level of a sort of shared office space with a couple other female founded brands. Um, and it was a fantastic place to be. We just grew out of it. We were tripping over boxes every time we were trying to pack orders and having to like move piles of inventory, um, to find specific sizes. And it just ended up not being very efficient, especially since we are planning to significantly increase our inventory and product range for spring 20. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. We were really excited and terrified. Are you expanding within the, the categories that you currently cater to or are you adding any new yeah we're still expanding within um our key markets our key um industries so we're just creating more diverse options for female mountain bikers and um you know their versatile layers that will allow people to use them for mountain biking or other summer fall spring activities so yeah but still in the same vein and extensions of existing products and new colorways and things so more more and new animal prints so oh i love you you have the llama the vicuña llama shorts which i have and love what do you think the the niche or gap in the market is that wild rye is currently filling i still think well one i women's mountain biking from what i've Red is one of, well, women in mountain biking is the fastest growing group within the sport of mountain biking. So there are new people joining the sport every day. And um, I think there are a lot of people who are stepping up to fill that gap, um, which is great. We have lots of friendly competitors in that that vein. And um, But upon launching, it, there was a huge gap. Um, you know, big big brands were focused on their hard goods and Soft goods were kind of an afterthought and, you know, definitely women's soft goods were even a further afterthought to their men's product. Um, so, I mean, we're, we like to think of ourselves as sort of a, a premium option um, that meet, meets like contemporary style of today um, while fitting really, really well and made with quality materials and quality construction so that the product will really last a lifetime. Um, and then same with on the winter sports side of things, um, soft goods have historically been one of the most overlooked categories. I mean, a lot of the outerwear brands were more focused on their outerwear um, because that's frankly what they were, outerwear brands that happened to make some base layers. And so um, – yeah, we wanted to fill that gap with some more contemporary shapes and prints and things that actually spoke to um, today's, you know, 20, 30, 40-something-year-olds. Um, and frankly, our customers are up to 75, 80, and as young as 16. So we have quite the customer range. But, um, yeah, just filling that contemporary contemporary styled i'm not saying this right (laughs) 
Filling the style gap with while still without compromising the product is really what we're going for. I guess what I what I was thinking about with with um, brands like your like Wild Rye and you know Shredley comes to mind as perhaps maybe your closest competitor in the sense that it you know not similar styling but kind of the same I guess model in a mm-hmm. way. Um, do you guys do you sell to retail stores or is that a goal? Mm-hmm. And, okay, you do. You have some brick and mortar shops. We do. We definitely do. Um, we are. I mean, we still are about seventy plus percent direct to consumer, um, but we uh, we do sell through a handful of brick and mortar specialty retail or independent retail shops, and um, you know. I'll be honest, we have limited bandwidth, so we haven't been banging down doors of independent specialty retailers as much as maybe we should. Um, So we mostly work with retailers that come to us, um, and we've had a lot coming to us, which is really cool. Um, We also work with some of the bigger guys, so we're in REI, we're on backcountry.com and competitive cyclist, and um, are hopefully moving towards working with Evo and um yeah so um you know as a two-woman team that frankly we still work full-time other jobs getting on the road and banging down doors hasn't been something that we've had the bandwidth to do um though are actively and happily welcoming new retailers um to our stockists all the time Sure. Yeah, that takes a whole other level of work to maintain, establish, maintain those relationships and and be able to supply the product, right? Like from that standpoint. Yeah, definitely. Inventory management might be one of the biggest challenges we've <laughs> I could totally see that even just, you know, working in a, uh, for a bike shop right now, what I'm doing with the path bike shop, I, I totally like had a greater insight into that world um, from a retailer perspective. And then from the supplier side, I, I really, um, can't imagine and, and understand how difficult that, that would be. Yeah. I now value and appreciate the reasoning behind preseason orders. (laughs) Ah, sure. You're seeing the other side. Or I guess for Smith, maybe it was quite different um, because you didn't do any soft goods. Yeah. And frankly, yeah, no, they they could do more at once builds, but um, I didn't touch that side of the business. I mean, I knew Ah. it was an issue and I knew it. Other people were worrying about it, but it wasn't one of my primary concerns when I was at Smith. I mean, it was a team of Hundreds. We had, a, sure. I think, like 130 sales reps in North America alone, and I was what they were worried about. I was worried about PR and marketing. So, <laughs> sure, right, yeah, that, that makes sense. sense. You, you vaguely knew things that were happening on multiple sides of the business, but your day to day was mm-hmm. not directly related to that. Exactly. Are yeah, it is interesting how how the the preseason not to get into the weeds on that too much but it is interesting how that model's changed so much in the last few years and I imagine being an apparel company that that you need to know what those orders are right to yeah predict I mean the apparel cycle is super lengthy and for anyone that 
isn't familiar with it, I think it's really sort of eye-opening. Um, we start working on a product two years before it hits market easily, maybe further out. And I mean, we placed, we pushed to the very last date possible with our factories and suppliers this year. Um, and we still placed our final grige orders or supply, you know, fabric quantities with our suppliers 10 months before it's scheduled to launch because the factories and the mills, they have to actually create the fabric. They have to dye the fabric. They have to print the fabric. The suppliers have to create the trims. Um, I mean, we have to think about like the zipper colors and the snap colors and all these little pieces of a garment that you don't think of when you, (laughs) when you go into a store and put it on and all of those pieces take a long time. And, you know, as a small brand, we're low on the food chain. So, um, if there are delays, we're the first to get bumped. So we have to plan ahead. Um, you know, if, if the North Face or Patagonia comes in and says, Hey, we need, we need a million of this, they're going to get priority. I guarantee it. Um, of, you know, factory and supplier time. So yeah, it's a really long cycle and, um, you know, and it's why it's easy to run out of sizes and colorways. You can't predict. And, um, we try our best to forecast what's going to be the most popular and most needed, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a different beast. I feel like that would be really hard to predict, you know, what are people going to like in two years? Yeah. <laughs> what colors are going to be hot or trending or does that matter? And and it does. Yeah. I mean, it really does. And that's something that I think a lot of outdoor brands have, have sort of poo-pooed or found upon is looking to New York Fashion Week and seeing what colors are trending. And that's sort of the best indication of, you know, what we should be looking at for the outdoors, obviously not everything is relevant for the outdoors, but in terms of like shapes and colors and patterns and it's, it's a valuable tool. And I think that it's been overlooked for a lot of brands and frankly, women in general are more versatile in their fashion. They have a broader range of what they like to wear and um, and so in order to meet a woman's sense of style in their outdoor apparel, I think it's really important to look to, um, you know, the runway. That is super interesting. I, I wouldn't necessarily make that connection, I guess, because you do sort of view a lot of times, you know, the outdoor industry is sort of its own thing, but the influence from the, you know, broader fashion world must be pretty significant. Sorry, you might have to repeat that one one second. My dog just decided to um, decided to um, patrol the office with someone walking by. That's okay. I have two dogs here next to me, and I'm like just waiting for them to bark. Um, it's okay. It adds to the flavor. Um, but no, what I was saying is, I think that that's really interesting that that fashion week and just what's happening in the broader fashion world would have an impact and it makes sense but I think a lot of us do kind of segregate this outdoor outdoor apparel outdoor world as its own thing and you know but it does make sense that it would impact that the trends of broader fashion would trickle over to the outdoor or they should if they're not Mm mm-hmm 
you know, I can't remember the exact quote, but, and I feel silly referencing the devil wears Prada, but there was some, uh, quote from Meryl Streep, um, talking to Anne Hathaway in that movie where she's basically putting, putting her in her place and letting her know that that color sweater was carefully selected for you by the likes of me three years ago when it was on the runway and a chosen color for the future. So I totally remember that scene. I love that movie. I know. <laughs> that is so perfect though. It's basically what you just said about your own business and your own process of that forecasting. Yeah. That's pretty great. Um, besides those challenges, um, which I think are significant, um, are there other challenges that have come up that you just really had no, um, idea would be a challenge or had really planned for it in running wild rye? I think we could, (laughs) I think we could find challenges in every category of the business for sure. (laughs) Um, I mean, bandwidth is definitely a challenge. Uh, We'd love to be at more events, but it's just, it's time consuming and it's not something that we can sneak away for a week at a time or even weeks at a time. We constantly are talking about, you know, taking the show on the road, but, um, you know, we have still have clients to answer to and orders to fulfill. We're still packing and shipping every order. So if an order comes in while we're on the road, there's no one here to fulfill it. So we are sort of grounded to the office, or at least um, we have to coordinate one of us being here, Krista or myself. Um, so, you know, that's a challenge. I mean, sales are always a challenge the balance of when to start investing more money into the brand. And, um, you know, to date we're hundred percent self-funded and we haven't paid ourselves a dime. So trying to figure out when we might be able to pay ourselves a little bit or when we can really invest in more marketing initiatives to get the word out there farther. Um, because yeah, I mean, every, as we grow, it means more inventory, which means more expenses, um, to pay for that inventory. So we've just been very careful with, um, always ensuring we have enough money for future inventory and probably neglected other areas as a result. Um, so we're spending some serious time looking at our financials and sort of forecasting different scenarios here in the coming months to determine when we can start evaluating those sides of the business. Um, and yeah, so that's full disclosure. The struggles yeah. of running a small brand and starting from the ground up. Um, other challenges? Um, well, I'm pregnant, so there's definitely the challenge of what maternity leave looks like when you run your own businesses. Um, and, yeah, that's definitely been weighing heavily on my mind. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. They're endless. I bet. And some days the challenges are different. You're going to have a whole different list, right? Like (laughs) putting out fires and especially between the two businesses. um, How do you divide your time? Is it, it sounds like you pretty much have two full-time jobs at this point. Um, What does a day look like for Cassie between the two businesses? I mean, we definitely, client calls for White Cloud always come first and making sure that we are executing what we um, 
but we need to on behalf of our paying clients because we both still need to pay for our our lives and um our clients are really important to us so that is typically our priority you know we'll wake up and be like oh gosh we haven't sent out a newsletter in like a week or two three weeks even and that oftentimes gets <laughs> bumped to the back of the list if um we're in the middle of a busy cycle for our clients um every day is different i mean it the to-do list is pages long so just trying to chip away at that on a on a daily weekly monthly basis um and then we I'm trying to be better we're trying to be better about carving out time to do some long-term business planning and big picture work because it's so easy to get caught in the 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 weeds and the day-to-day of the business and um you know then we wake up and we're like oh gosh (laughs) we were hoping to be at this point today and we're nowhere close because we haven't taken the time to stop and think about it so um, yeah and then I mean we live in this great place so we try to get out and exercise and take care of ourselves at lunch or after work um Chris and I both have dogs so that at least gets us out of the office um speaking of that great place Tell us about how you ended up in Sun Valley. Yeah, so, um, hmm. well, Sun Valley's been a part of my life since I was eight years old. My um, my mom and dad were here on vacation visiting friends, and um, my mom, as far as I remember, as like a seven or eight-year-old, came home at the end of the weekend, and my mom had been offered a one-year teaching job in Sun Valley, so... I'm sure there was more <laughs> conversation involved, but I just, in my head, they came home from vacation and were like, guess what? We're moving to Sun Valley next, <laughs> next year. Um, and so, yeah, we picked up and moved for a year, and it was always intended to be a year. Um, and I enrolled in the community school, and my little sister as well. Um, and we spent the year on ski team and going on spring break to Moab and um, – and so, yeah, Sun Valley has always been a really special place ever since then. Um, my best friend in, like, life is from that third grade year here, and we've kept in touch ever since. We haven't lived in the same place since then, but um, other than, like, a month in the summer here in Sun Valley. But, um, yeah, I just – there was something about being in the mountains that just I couldn't shake. And so, you know, we came back on family vacations and – I lived here summers in college, and frankly, I really wanted to convince my parents that it was a good idea for me to move back here immediately after graduating college, and I think they knew me better than I knew myself at that point and suggested that maybe I spend one year getting um, real career experience so that when I did end up in Sun Valley, I had something to fall back on because I knew I would never leave once I got back here. I think it was seven or eight years after graduating from college that I ended up back here full time, and they were right. <laughs> it was really nice to land land here with a career, and they were also right that I'd never leave once I got here. So, and that was in you said two thousand eleven. I think so. I either left San Francisco in two thousand eleven, or I spent one year in in Jackson Hole area on my way back yeah. to Sun Valley. You were still. Um connected to Sun Valley and ultimately knew you would end up back there. 
Yeah, I, I, I guess I did, um, deep down. Um, there's just something about this community that's hard to shake. It's such a tight knit community and, um, I wasn't sure what the landscape of the community and the, my, you know, peers would be once I got back here. I knew a lot of people from growing up who didn't live here anymore. Um, but it's just, it's such an incredible community. Um, super tight knit, super active, really smart. Um, and for a small town, it has just incredible culture, great restaurants, great music, great arts programs. So yeah, it's kind of hard to beat. That's really cool. I've been to Sun Valley quite a few times and it's hard to know when you visit a place and don't spend very long there. You know, what is the community like once, you know, for the people who live here, especially as a pretty much nearly year round tourist destination at this point, would you say with mountain biking and hiking and not just winter sports popular there anymore? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it is hard to gauge, like, what is the quality of life for this community? And is it tight knit? And that was actually one of my questions was, is it tight knit? Because you never know when you're coming from the outside, you know, like what's left when the tourists leave. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's just something really special. It's, I think that a lot of mountain communities have this sort of competitive nature to them. And Sun Valley just doesn't. It's a really mellow, easygoing pace of life. And I mean, I have anywhere I go, you know, all generations are connected. Um, it's, yeah, it's super tight knit. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to explain it otherwise. Yeah. I just know that if I ever needed anything, I'd have like a whole circle of people around me offering to help. So. Very cool. Um, do people who grow up there do a lot, do they often stay and make it work or do many of them end up leaving, you know, because of the career situation, job market, maybe? I mean, I'd say it's a really healthy mix. Um, a lot of our close friends, at least one member of the couple, um, grew up here. Oh, that's awesome. And I think, you know, I don't know if that's because I partially grew up here and those are the people that I have known my whole life. But, um, yeah, there are a lot of people that end up here. And frankly, every day I hear other people who grew up here, they're trying to move back or working mm -hmm. on moving back or are moving back. So yeah, I mean, definitely people leave, um, and get some other experience, but, uh, everyone just loves this place and, it's hard, hard to stay away. Krista, my, part, my business partner, uh, grew up here. So. Oh, cool. And how has the community changed? Cause you've been there maybe eight years or so and then coming back, you know, in and out for most of your life, it sounds like, how has it changed the town and, and the opportunity there? And, you know, is it becoming a busier destination over the years or is it kind of staying maybe about the same? Um, it's definitely getting busier. I mean, you mentioned the winter sports side of things, but actually I'd say tourism in the summer is way busier than the winter. Wow. Okay. Um, and I think that's something that's changed for sure since I grew up, you know, lived here. Um, it's definitely a mountain bike destination. There's, I don't know, easily eight to 15 weddings every weekend here. Um, Dang. For a small community, so uh, the summer population of, of 
Taurus is pretty massive and more consistent. Um, I'd say the population of people who live here full time, I don't know that it's changed a ton. I mean, like any ski town, there's unfortunately fewer dirt bag ski bums um, just because the cost of living is a challenge and like every other mountain town that, you know, short-term rentals have cannibalized some of the long-term rental opportunities and um, how's it old A-frames are getting turned into luxury homes for sure. Um, But I'd say the vibe of the population has stayed pretty consistent and it's just a really welcoming place. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's definitely growing. Um, One thing that's unique about Sun Valley is that there are, are some really great zoning laws in place. So people, you know, there's only so much space where people can build. Um, you won't see any houses up on the hillsides or outside, you know, around town. Um, so really the housing and building is limited to the valley floor. So, um, yeah. How has the, has mountain biking gotten more popular there in the last few years? Because I feel like I started hearing about it more. I'd been mountain biking there before, but, you know, maybe 10 years ago. And I, I couldn't really remember, like, you know, what was there much of a scene there? And, you know, how has it changed? It's hard because I don't really remember as a kid what it was like. I know I did mountain bike a little bit when I was little. Um, but it's definitely grown. And it's definitely been more heavily marketed. Um, you know, there have been very specific mountain bike events that have brought new people here. Um, I mean, I think the trail systems have always been here. It's a big sheep herding area. So there's lots of sort of game trails and sheep trails and backcountry trails. Um, But yeah, I mean, Sun Valley has between our valley and then like the Stanley Basin Valley just over the hill, I think something like 700 miles of connected mountain bike trails. That's a lot. So, yeah, it's an insane amount of, of riding and, um, yeah, definitely caters to people that are willing to do a little bit of pedaling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd say the mountain bike community here is, is blowing up and really has been blowing up since, I don't know, started blowing up maybe 10, eight, eight years ago. And <laughs> I feel like I can, I don't know if this is accurate, but I can almost pinpoint it to... Um, a former, well, I replaced him at Smith and he went on to work at Visit Sun Valley, the marketing alliance for the Valley. And he was a former Olympic mountain biker. So mountain biking was really near and dear to his heart. And so, um, he worked really hard on building up the, the awareness around mountain biking in Sun Valley. So. Gotcha. Has that been, I mean, largely good for the community or have there been any drawbacks? Sure, some trails get a little bit more crowded, like Fisher Creek, which is a beloved trail up in Stanley area, is packed, um, at least by our standards. But there's so much trail to be enjoyed, and people are so spread out, I'd say, aside from some really close-to-town trails and, you know, really well-known trails. um, You can still go out and ride all day without seeing anyone. That's awesome. You can't say that about many places. <laughs> Not anymore, anyway. Um, is I know I, I, I'm from Idaho as well, and so I um, I am I'm from northern Idaho, and 
it, there, so much of the state is wilderness. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about Idaho having anything but wilderness. So I always wonder like how that perception and, and reality really impacts mountain biking growth there. Because when I, the last time I lived in Idaho, I didn't mountain bike yet. So it wasn't even like a thought to like, you know, I could go anywhere there because I was on foot. Right. So, um, it's interesting to see like how the, and I know Montana also parts of Montana, same kind of thing, like kind of the, the challenge of, you know, wilderness areas being, you know, close to communities because they often are in those places and, you know, what the access looks like. Have there been, um, struggles there with the mountain bike community in Sun Valley or is there just enough public land that's open to all that, that it doesn't matter? The wilderness component? Yeah. The wilderness component. Um, there was a bit of a, um, a debacle, I guess. They recently shut down um, the white clouds to mountain biking. Mm. It was public land and it was some of the most beautiful, epic backcountry riding. And um, I mean, a handful of my favorite all-time, all-day trails um, were in that area. And so it was was pretty devastating, I think, more for locals than anyone else Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. because we knew these trails and you know, and then on top of it, it was the motos who really did most of the maintaining of these trails and they were very respectful of the land and, um, you know, it's, it's the never ending debate of who deserves to be able to use this land. And, um, you know, I think a lot of mountain bikers would argue that frankly, the equestrian community is harder on the land because they don't, don't always stay on trails in the same way that say mountain bike and motos do. I mean, there's no incentive to go off the trail on a mountain bike. <laughs> and so seeing that portion of land shut down was, a, you know, a pretty disappointing blow to the local mountain bike community. Um, and it was politically motivated. And I don't know all the ins and outs of the legalities of it, but I know that there was talk of turning a much larger amount of land into a national monument, which would have continued to allow mountain biking use. Um, and then our fairly conservative, um, state legislation, uh, decided that no, it would be a much smaller area and it would be wilderness. And it just happened to be this area that was really special to the mountain bike community. So yeah, I am definitely not the expert on that. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah, that, I would say that's been the only major, major thing. And it was pretty major about four years ago when it happened five years ago, something like that. Um, but otherwise there's so much public land. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's just so much empty space here in Idaho. It's crazy, you know, being from living in Southern California, so many people from here are moving to Idaho and I'm like, Oh God, it's going to become the next bend to Oregon. (laughs) Um, and yeah, so it's interesting to see that um, kind of switch to, I don't, not sh- even sure how Idaho became so popular, uh, but it has. Boise is, I mean, for, I can't remember the statistics, but Boise, I think there's like a thousand new people moving there every week or something. Sounds like a big number to me, but. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For a small city like that. Yeah. Blowing up and yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Redfish Lake, which is one of our favorite weekend destinations, is turning into Coney Island because there's so many people coming from Boise every weekend. Really? And that's not, how far is it? Like two hours to Boise from you? Um, it depends on which way you go, but yeah, it's about two and a half hours from Sun Valley to Boise. And then to get to the Stanley Basin area, it's about two hours and 45 minutes from Boise. And then it's about an hour from here to Stanley for us. So, um, yeah, they're, you know, the Boise population's coming that, that way through like the Payette river. Okay. Yep. I can picture that. Interesting. I got to get back there and visit. It's been many years. <laughs> I think I was there when I worked for Giant and I I remember I did a demo, but I can't remember much about it, but Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was a while ago. But, so it's been a while and I'm always curious to revisit destinations I've been um spend a lot of time in and you know see how they've changed cuz I I do feel like our sport is be is mini mountain biking is becoming more popular for many reasons. Um, but then I'm like, well, am I in a bubble? Because in Southern California, it's huge. So, you know, we can do it almost year round and it's, you know, very appealing. More people are leaving road biking in favor of dirt, gravel and dirt trails, um, for safety reasons. So it, yeah, I'm always like thinking like trying to think outside of the bubble that I'm in here because I'm, you know, the perspective's good, but it does sound like, um, it's definitely growing there. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, we're a small little bubble, but, um, it seems like across the West and New England in particular, I guess probably the Southeast and places too. It's, yeah, it's growing a lot. Yeah. It's good to see. And it's great for brands like yours and your timing, your timing was probably really good in that sense. And like you said, you were, you know, one of the only brands back when you launched that were sort of filling and probably still are today filling that niche that you're trying to, you know, cater to women who, you know, are looking for a certain thing that they can't find elsewhere. And yeah, I mean, our whole mission is just to be more welcoming to women. I think that the bike industry in general has just been an intimidating place for a lot of women who aren't already great at mountain biking. <laughs> totally. And like confident, you know, walking into bike shops and feeling talked down to and not knowing the right questions to ask. I know I went through that and I was like, you know, talking to friends and still I was there was a period where I just didn't want to deal with fixing my bike because I didn't want to have the conversation and sound like an idiot. Oh gosh. Yes. We've all been there, I think. And I think that that is changing a lot is a lot of shops, um, are taking that into consideration and then women walk in and there are apparel sections that actually speak to them. And I think that that, uh, you know, they go hand in hand, more women getting to mountain biking and, the mountain biking community or industry being more welcoming to women in general, encouraging more women to join us. So, Absolutely. Um, I read, I, I didn't ask you about it before, but um, I read something, maybe it was on LinkedIn, um, and I saw something about Women-Led Wednesday, and I wanted to ask you about that because I've never heard of it. Uh, what's that all about, and how are you involved in that? 
That is an initiative that I launched last November, or I guess October. Um, it, you know, it started somewhat self, um, <laughs> uh, what am I trying to say? It, self-serving. Um, I was looking for an excuse to um, have a holiday sale that felt more aligned with wild rye and black friday didn't doesn't feel right cyber monday it's so easy to get lost and you know i was talking to katie at the time and i was like there's got to be something out there that's like for women-led brands there's so many cool women-led brands popping up and i started poking around and honestly didn't find anything um so women-led wednesday is much like small business saturday and giving tuesday in that it's a shopping holiday that serves a specific business sector, and in this case, uh, encourages people to shop women-led brands. And the, you know, as the initiative evolved to be much bigger than Wild Rye, it, um, you know, the end goal is to create a more uh, balanced economic landscape, um, gender balanced. And um, in my research, I uncovered that, you know, American Express manufactured Small Business Saturday. They were trying to um, boost revenues among small businesses after the recession. And so they invented this holiday. And so I decided that, well, I might not be as big as American Express and might not have their level of funding, but I do have a network and um, that network has a network and let's just try to do this. So um, I think it was last week of October or early November. And I sent out an email to all the female founded business owners and women in the greater outdoor industry and women I knew from San Francisco and Denver and Seattle and college and elsewhere in my career and just said, hey, you know, basically, hey, I want to create this network of women-led businesses. And um, the idea is that all these women-led businesses will promote the initiative and, um, you know, it's aimed to shine the light on female-founded brands and encouraging people to shop and, you know, vote for women in leadership with their dollars. So, um, yeah, I mean, instead of fighting and swimming upstream, trying to get more women in the C-suites of Fortune 500 companies and on boards and whatnot, obviously there's a lot of discussion around that, and that's really important. But um, I think we should also be supporting the businesses that are already there um, at any size. So, so awesome. I When is it this year? Or is it the same every year? Yeah, so it's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So it at this point, it kind of kicks off the holiday shopping season. Um, so this year, it's November 27th, which is, yeah, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And we're getting ready to launch a new website that will um, really help people get to know these women-led brands right there on womenledwednesday.com. Um, It'll feature a brand directory and tell founder stories and brand stories and link to social and their websites for shopping. Um, and yeah, so we're just ramping up for this season. And um, I think we have something like 300 brands Whoa. involved and um, more are invited to join every day. We'll be um, welcoming new brands, I think, until end of October, um, at which point will focus on the collective outreach and, you know, promotion of the holiday between all, all the participating brands. 
That is so cool. Okay, lady, lady led brands out there listening. <laughs> Here's your, you still have time to get involved with this. This sounds amazing. And I am personally going to, um, help promote this. And yeah, that is so fantastic. We need more of this uh, women supporting women and everyone supporting our efforts as entrepreneurs, as athletes, everything. And I, I just love this idea. Yeah, we're, I mean, I'm super excited about it and it's a, it's, yeah, it, it just makes me so excited to talk about and yeah, I mean, someday I hope to have a little funding to support it because as of now, it's just another self-funded passion project. (laughs) You're, You're good at finding those, Cassie. You have a lot of ideas and I love that you make them happen. Um, and, and take it on and, and do it. And that's super admirable. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you helping to get the word out because, you know, the more the merrier and the more people involved, the more potential eyeballs to discover all these really incredible female founded brands. So for sure, very happy to do that. I'm glad that, that, that I happened to see it because I hadn't um, heard of it. Did you say you started it last year and you had your first one last fall? Yeah, we started it or I guess started it. Um, the idea came out, came about about three weeks before the actual event. And within a very short period of time, we had over a hundred brands sign on and, um, you know, it was a little haphazard last year and thrown together really quickly. So we didn't have such a coordinated collective marketing initiative that we're hoping to have this year to promote the initiative, promote the actual shopping holiday. But we had some great PR and really rad brands involved. And yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, I would say a huge success for year one. And, you know, some businesses really felt the impact of sales generated through Women Led Wednesday, some not as much. Um, but the hope is, is that eventually all of the brands involved will feel a bit of a lift from the holiday. Sure. Oh, that's awesome. Um, one thing we haven't talked about really is um, your cycling background. How did you get into bikes? I've been riding bikes since I was a little kid. My dad is an avid road cyclist and he did, you know, some mountain biking back in his younger days, but he still rides his bike just about every day. And I remember going to the local park on Vashon Island and my dad putting me on the top of a hill without training wheels and saying, good luck. (laughs) Um, But to be honest, I, um, you know, I've always been ridden bikes, but I didn't really get into mountain biking until, well, I guess as a kid, my dad, my family, we went on spring vacation to Moab and I rode on Slick Rock, but, um, I was a team sports girl. I played lacrosse through college and so, um, and then lived in cities after that. So Denver and San Francisco. And so didn't really get into mountain biking until I moved back to the mountains. And, um, when I first moved to Jackson area, technically dregs. I remember going into, um, habitat and saying, Hey, okay, move back to the mountains. I'm determined to learn how to mountain bike. Um, I didn't really have people to go with. So I went by myself. I remember (laughs) one of my first rides on my mountain bike, I ate it so hard and huge gash in my knee that everyone said I needed to get stitched up (laughs) and I didn't, but, uh, and then I opened it again and my 
friend, um, Tessa, who was a nurse practitioner, finally pinned me down and was like, all right, I'm bringing home, home a suturing kit and we're <laughs> stitching you up in my bathtub. Um, that was sort of my introduction to mountain biking as an adult. And um, then I moved back to Sun Valley and just had an incredible community of people that like to mountain bike. And then my um, husband, Mike, is an incredible mountain biker and former Nordic skier, so has the endurance of, I don't know what has the endurance of a Mike Stump, but <laughs> something that can go for forever. So yeah, some of our first dates were on mountain bikes. Sort of what was your, what do you remember about that experience that would maybe help women or, or anyone really trying to get into mountain biking now? Well, so when I started mountain biking, I still feel like there weren't a ton of women, I mean, at least in my networks, that were super into it. I had some friends in Jackson that would go occasionally. Um, and then when I moved back to Sun Valley, I pretty much only rode with guys at first. Um, and, you know, I got burnt out of that. I, you know, was always – I could kind of hang, but – I definitely felt like I was always holding people back and that was hard and um, I can be a head case. So <laughs> I get in my head about that. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I honestly, once I started working harder to find a network of women to ride with, I have sort of, I, I just think mountain biking is so much more fun. Um, and I think a lot of shops have ladies nights and ladies rides and, even if you just meet one person that you like spending time with, you've found a new new riding buddy. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think the value of riding with women is just, it's just a totally different vibe. You know, it's a different pace. It's different objectives. It's more about the community and the social aspects while still pushing, you know, your limits, but also the appreciation for the snack breaks and the journey as opposed to just getting to the top of something or setting Strava records or whatever. So <laughs> totally. That's a good way to put it. The appreciation for the snack breaks. I love that. <laughs> Wild Ride, we do a really good job of celebrating snack breaks. Oh, love it. <laughs> They're important. <laughs> and I feel like when I, I feel like when it is all a group of women, the, it, the dynamic is so different. Um, and the 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 subjects we're comfortable discussing are totally different, and it really is a different beast. And I I do agree with you there that there is really nothing like it. Um, yeah, finding your lady riding buddies. Is there a good group in Sun Valley? Do you ride with a? Is there like a designated women's ride there, or several, or? There are lots of different groups of women that ride, um, and I feel like I span a few different generations of those women. Um, I have to admit I haven't ridden as much this summer as I would have liked because of between the business and the growing beast in my belly, but um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I feel like I'm really determined to get back into it next year in a bigger way and there are so many people that I was bummed I didn't get to spend more time riding with here um, this past summer. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's great, great um, groups of women. Um, I mean, I have a group of women who's in their late 40s and 50s that ride a lot. And then, you know, women who are in their 20s and I'm somewhere in the middle. So, yeah, it's That's just cool. there are lots of different groups of 
lady shredders around here and they're just incredible athletes. So probably ripping skiers in the winter too. Exactly. (laughs) It sounds like you ski, you run, you hike, you camp. Um, and it also sounds like your husband does all of those things with you. Um, and he sounds um, amazing as well. Um, are you, how are you feeling about motherhood and, you know, raising an adventure baby? Sounds like you're in a good community to do it. Are you, um, looking forward to that? Like bringing the whole family out and about for outdoor pursuits? I mean, that's my hope. It'll definitely change things. There's no question about that. I mean, mountain biking is not exactly a sport that you can do with a a baby attached to you, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I'm excited to just raise an outdoor adventure guy. We have a, it's a boy on the way. So, um, so yeah, I mean, introducing him to camping, um, it's overwhelming because it's just a whole d- next level of gear. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think between Mike and I, we're pretty determined to get the little guy outside as much as possible and, you know, integrate him into our lifestyle rather than halting our lifestyle to raise a child. So, um, yeah, I see maybe different versions of hiking and camping, but all of that's still in our future. And then hopefully, you know, we'll still get to enjoy some of those activities together with the babysitter or with the munchkin or <laughs> grandparents or whatnot helping us so that we can go skiing or go for a ride together from time to time. So sneak out for date, date adventures. <laughs> Right. Yes. Uh, you'll bounce back quick, I'm sure. Um, so let's let's kind of wrap it up with, um, I always like to ask my guests this, and you live in a destination, frankly, that many people have would love to visit if they haven't and return to regularly if they have. But what are some of your other places that you love for um, riding and other outdoor adventures like skiing? Um where are your favorites globally or here in the U.S. or both? Um, I mean, the annual Springs pilgrimage to Moab is still very, very high on my list. Um, Captain Ahab will forever be a very special ride. It was my first ride in Moab with Mike, and it's where we got engaged. And it's absolutely crushed me on a regular basis and tumbled me and you know, every time I ride it, I feel like I clear things that I wasn't able to clear before. And I just love that feeling. Um, so Moab will still always be very special. Um, where else? Um, we did a bike trip in Europe a couple summers ago, which was really spectacular and totally different. Um, just the valley to the top of, to the Alpine was 5,000 feet. So, Um, we did a lot of, you know, sort of tram assisted long backcountry rides, um, outside of the town of Bormio in Italy and then Davos St. Moritz in Switzerland. Um, I love the Italian portion in particular because it comes with good pizza and pasta and wine (laughs) and it's frankly less expensive. Um, 
I have never skied or mountain biked in New Zealand, but it's one of my favorite places in the world, and I would love to do both there someday. So that is on my list. Um, And then where else? Um, um, mm, 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 mm. Mike is from Lake Placid area, so it's been fun to go ride bikes out there, and it's totally different from Idaho uh, riding, where Idaho you're – riding up 3,000 feet and then down 3,000 feet typically or, you know, <laughs> big ascents and big descents. Um, New England's more of spaghetti bull riding where you're sort of choosing your own adventure and riding in and out of the trees. And so that's been fun. The roots kick my butt and I usually end up falling and getting really pissed off. But <laughs> those roots are slippery buggers. <laughs> they are different skill set, right? But yeah, I think Moab, I mean, Sun Valley, I just, I have a hard time, hard time getting excited about going to many other places because we have it so good right at our back door. (laughs) Right. That's not a bad place to be, which sort of makes this conversation come full circle in a way because, I mean, that's the whole reason why you started your businesses there and so you wouldn't have to leave and give up that life. Exactly. It's a very, very special place, near and dear to my heart in every way, shape, and form. Very cool. Well, you can follow Cassie on Instagram. Um, Wild Rye has an account. It's just at Wild Rye, right? It's at wild underscore rye underscore. Oh, got it. Okay. Perfect. We'll put that in the show notes as well um, and the website and we'll include information about Women Led Wednesday so you can find all the things we talked about there. Um, yeah, we look forward to seeing what's in store for Wild Rye and and you, Cassie, um, with your baby and your new family and and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your very, very busy day and work week to chat with me this morning. It's been really nice to get to know you a lot better. I had only met you that one time, I think, at press camp briefly. So it was a real joy to speak with you. Well, thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, I'm excited to share the adventures ahead. For sure. We look forward to it. Thanks for tuning in to Episode 7 with my guest, Cassie Abel. For sure, follow her Adventures with Wild Rye. And check out her amazing apparel line. And you can follow me on Instagram at She Shreds Bikes. Thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you next time. Have a great day.